This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Have you ever had one of those times when you prayed and prayed and no answer came? You sowed and you sowed and as yet you don't see any harvest. You labored and you labored seemingly without any reward. You prayed, you gave, you sowed, you spoke the word, (laughs) you rebuked the devil, you did everything you know to do. But as of yet, seemingly no answer. And you feel a bit perhaps like the disciples who come back from a night's fishing. And they said to the Lord, we have toiled all the night and have caught nothing. Still no healing. Still no significant other in your life. Still no financial return. Still no upturn. Still no light at the end of your particular tunnel. So what do you do? What do you do? Do you quit? Do you give up? Do you lose all hope? Do you say, well, maybe it's never going to happen? Is that what you do? No. I tell you what you do. You do what Paul said in Ephesians 6:13, having done all stand. That's what you do. Having done all. Maybe you have prayed every prayer there is to pray. You have done everything you know to do. You have read all the books. (laughs) You have read the Word of God. You have said the Word of God. You have done everything you know to do and nothing's still happening. That's when the temptation is to give up. But instead, having done all, Paul said, when you've done everything there is to do and it hasn't changed, what do you do? You keep standing. You do not give up. You stand. You say, well, how do you stand? How do you stand? What do you do? How do you stand? Well, the first thing is you stand in faith. You stand in faith. Do you remember how the disciples was out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus was up the mountain praying and a great storm arose. And in that storm, it looked like their lives was going to be lost. It looked like the boat would sink or capsize and they were toiling and rowing. They were trying to keep the the prow of the ship into the wind so it wouldn't capsize. And I'm sure they were tired and they were weary There were seasoned fishermen on board who had been in storms before, but this was a really, really bad one. And then suddenly, suddenly they saw this ghostly figure coming towards them, walking on the water. And all of those old suspicious stories and all of those old tales that sailors knew about ghosts made them frightened. It says they were afraid And Jesus allayed their fears. He says, I don't be afraid. 
You're all right, fellas. It's me. And then Peter. Who else but Peter would have said what he said? I don't think I would have said what he said. Lord, if it is you, bid me come to you on the water. Nobody else in that boat would have said that. Nobody else in the world would have said that. Some of us has been in the Sea of Galilee. I've been on it once, and it was like a mill pond. But even looking at it, you're thinking, how in the world did Peter, in a storm, actually get his leg over the boat and walk on water? But he did. Lord, if it's you, bid me come to you on the water. Now, notice that Jesus didn't say, well, Peter, I, I, I don't think your faith could handle this. Uh, Peter, I, I think you'd be in big trouble if you stepped out of that boat. Peter, just hold on. I, I'm coming. Just wait. Be patient. I'm coming. <laughs> Peter, <laughs> I, I know you mean well. <laughs> I know you think you can do this, but I, I really don't think you can. But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus sensed there was a faith in Peter's heart. And he said one word, come, he says. Come. And Peter, bless him, put his leg over that boat. And for those few moments, yes, I know he got frightened later and he beginning to sink, cry, Lord, save me. I know that. But, but let's not take it away from him. For those few moments, he stood upon water. Nothing else holding him up but his faith in the Lord's command to come. He stood on the water. What faith. What a moment in his life. The rest of those disciples looked on and they must have been amazed. And Jesus must have been so pleased. He must have been so pleased to see this man actually trusting him that much that he would stand on that water. So it takes great faith to stand upon water, to walk upon water. But then the Apostle Paul, he was in a boat and he was in a storm. And it was a bigger storm. And it was a bigger boat. There was hundreds on board. And the storm didn't last an hour or a night. Paul says, after 14 days when neither sun nor stars appeared and all hope was gone and they had thrown everything there was to throw out of that ship to lighten the load but that storm kept battering and battering and battering and they were getting closer to land and the sailors sounded the water to see how deep it was and, and thinking they had got to the place where if they could just get into the lifeboat and sail away, they might be safe. They didn't care about the prisoners on board. They didn't care about the soldiers on board. Paul was on a ship. He was a prisoner. He was going to Rome to appeal unto Caesar. They didn't care about that. They only cared about themselves. But the apostle Paul had already had fasted, already had prayed, already had got the word from the Lord that all their lives would be saved. But there was one condition. And the condition was that they would stay in the boat. And Paul said to the centurion, unless these stay in the boat, we'll all die. And the centurion cut the ropes 
and let the boat drift away. Sometimes it takes just as much faith to stay in the boat as to get out of the boat. When everything in you in the storm wants to get out of the boat, you want to jump overboard, <laughs> you want to get out of the situation somehow, some way. And you've been standing and standing, and you feel I can stand no longer, I gotta do something. I gotta get out of this boat, I gotta get out of this situation, I gotta do something. Paul says, unless you stay in the boat. And sometimes it's like that in our lives, unless we stay in the boat. And it takes some faith to stay in the boat when you think that boat's going to sink. And you think your life is going to go down with it. It takes some faith to stay in that boat. And Paul was able to say that because he had heard a word from the Lord. And that's what kept him. And that's what kept their, all their lives safe. Their lives were saved because Paul was on board that boat and had got a word from the Lord. That's the only <laughs> thing that kept him safe. And yes, all of their lives were spared in the end. So sometimes it takes faith to get out of the boat and sometimes it takes just as much faith to stay in the boat. Just to keep standing when everything in you wants not to stand anymore. <coughs> Abraham and Sarah, God gave them a promise. And they were to stand in that promise however long it was going to take. And they didn't know how long it was going to take. And of course, you remember then that Sarah wanted to help God out of the problem. The problem was they were getting older and Son of Promise wasn't appearing. So let's help God out. And they caused that disaster with Hagar and Ishmael, her Egyptian maid that she gave to Abraham. But even after that, for years after that, they had to keep believing the promise. And they had to keep standing and standing and standing until Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old. Could you imagine having a child at 90? <laughs> she must have been in good shape. Hmm? She's some woman, isn't she? Superwoman that, isn't she? 90 years. Can you imagine pushing a pram down the road and you're 90? People think this is your great, great, great grandchild. But they stood, and they stood, and they stood, and they stood. <coughs> and Abraham didn't waver because of unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. In Hebrews chapter 11... It says in verse 11, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. What a couple. What a story. What an outcome. What a nation came from that son of promise because they stood when everything humanly was impossible. The Bible says about Abraham, who against hope believed in hope. When all natural hope was gone, he believed in hope. 
not the natural hope that was gone, but the hope of God's promise coming true. Further down in that chapter, chapter 11, the great heroes of faith chapter, verse 30, it says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms and worked righteousness and obtained promises and stopped the mouths of lions and quenched the violence of fire and escaped the edge of the sword and out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle and turned to flight the armies of the aliens and women received their dead raised to life again. What faith, what standing, not quitting, not giving up, and if we stopped there, it would be wonderful. And we would say, Amen. But we need to read on. Because the roll call of the heroes of faith didn't finish there. It continues, but it's different. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And all these having obtained a good testimony through faith, did you notice that? It looks like these were the ones that lost. It looks like these were the ones that God didn't come through for. It looks like these were the ones whose faith failed. But no, it says they all had a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. But God still said they had a good testimony of faith. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. The same faith that was in those who escaped the edge of the sword was the exact same faith that was in those who died by the sword. Same faith. Had to stand. Didn't receive the promise. Didn't escape the edge of the sword. Didn't escape the imprisonment didn't escape the tough times and the hard times, but God said they still had the same faith. So some of you are standing today and you're maybe looking at somebody else and says, well, they got their answer, they got through, they got this, they got that, but what about me? What's happened to my faith? Is my faith too small? Their faith wasn't too small. There's nothing wrong with their faith. God says they had a good testimony of their faith. See, sometimes your faith is what simply keeps you standing when everything else around you is falling. It's your faith that keeps you upright in the battle and in the tough times. 
So stand. Having done all, stand. In the good times, in the bad times, the up times, the down times, the in times, the out times. Just keep standing. You'd be amazed what you can come through in victory if you keep standing. Secondly, stand in patience. Ever notice in Scripture that often faith is linked to another dynamic? To something else besides just faith. For instance, Galatians 5 and 6 talks about faith that works by love. And add a dimension to our faith. In James chapter 1, verse 2 My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Anybody got there yet? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, when the Bible talks about patience, it's not talking about sitting at the traffic lights and that idiot driver in front of you, the lights has changed, he doesn't even see it, he's listening to his radio, and you're just about to blast, it's only two seconds, but you're just about to blast that horn. It's not talking about that the lack of patience or that kind of patience, which is very, very short. It's perseverance. That's what patience means in the Bible. Perseverance, endurance. But let perseverance, let endurance, let patience have its perfect work that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And so your faith oftentimes needs to be bolstered by your endurance, by your perseverance. You need that to keep you standing. When you can't see the answer, when you can't feel the answer, when you don't know when it's going to come or how it's going to come or even if it's going to come, you still stand. The three Hebrew boys said, O king, we're not going to bow to you. Even if it costs us our lives, we are not going to bow. We are going to stand for God, no matter what. Stand in patience. 1 Corinthians 13 and 2 says, Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And so faith and love goes together. Faith and patience and perseverance go together. And in Second Peter chapter 1, there's a few things that we can add to our faith. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5. For also this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, 
to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, there's that word again, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For you lack these things as short-sighted even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. So there's seven things, Peter says, that we can add to our faith. Sometimes if we're standing in faith, we need to say, Lord, is there something else I need to add to this? Thirdly, stand in victory. In Ephesians 6, you know it so well. You see there that the imagery that Paul gives us is of a Roman soldier. Kit it out, fit it out for the battlefield. Paul was used of using various metaphors, soldiers, athletes, Sometimes he was in the courtroom, sometimes he was in the accountant's office. But here in Ephesians 6, he'd seen so many Roman soldiers, he noted every piece of armory they had and every weapon they had at their disposal. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So God has given us every single thing we need to stand in the midst of the battle, we have the armor for protection. We have the weapons to attack. It is all ours in Christ Jesus. And so whenever we stand, we're not standing naked in the battlefield. We're not standing defenseless. We're standing fully armed and fully protected from the evil one. As long as we put on the whole armor of God. We need to put it on. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Paul makes it very clear there, he makes it very clear in Ephesians 6, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Having said that, the enemy has got to work through something, or someone. And Paul recognized that. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord reward him according to his works. Yes, he knew what was behind Alexander the coppersmith, but he wasn't afraid to say Alexander the coppersmith and name him did mean much harm. The Lord reward him according to his works. But how do we fight that battle? With the spiritual armory 
that God has given to us. As a believer, you were recreated in Christ to live in victory, not defeat. You're made to be the head, not the tail, to be above, not beneath. You were made to be an overcomer, not to be overcome. Christ went to that cross to save our eternal souls, to keep us from going to hell that we deserved and to go to heaven to be with him forever. But as well as that, that victory on the cross gave us everything we'd need in this journey to earth to heaven, everything we need to be in victory and to win the struggles and the battles of life, which are many, which we know about. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In Philippians 4.13, if you read that in context, you see why he said that. He says, you Philippians, he said, who supported me, he says, it's been a while since you supported me. He says, you wanted to, but you lacked opportunity, but now you're back doing it again. But he says, whether I have little, whether I have much, whether I'm hungry, whether I'm full, it doesn't matter. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No matter how little, much, hungry, full, he says, I can still stand. I keep standing in Christ who strengthens me. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Luke 10, 19, behold, Jesus said, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Ultimately, nothing shall by any means hurt us, the children of God. Isaiah said, no weapon that is formed against us shall prosper. The devil is continually fashioning weapons against God's children. But if we believe that scripture, it shall not prosper. Second Chronicles 32, Hezekiah said of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. With him is the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. <laughs> all the world's God is the arm of flesh. That's all the devil can use, the arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God. And he will fight our battles. Stand in confidence, not in your own confidence, not in confidence of circumstances, but of confidence in Christ. Make sure our confidence is not based on ourselves because we wax and wane according to how we feel most of the time. If you feel wonderful, great. But what when you feel low and down and feel beaten and defeated? Where's your confidence? Better not be in yourself at that point. You better have your confidence higher than that. It's got to be in Christ. Being confident, Paul said, Philippians 1, 6, of this very thing, 
that he who began a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. When you're feeling you're in a storm and you're feeling you're being beaten against, you feel you're being pummeled by the enemy and you feel it's coming in all directions, look up and say, God, what you started in me, you'll finish. You're not going to give up. You're not going to give up. Now thanks be unto God, Paul says, who always, always, always causes us to triumph in Christ. <laughs> Writer to the Hebrews 10.35, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which is great recompense of reward. Your confidence in Christ does. <coughs> it is great recompense of reward. We have every reason today to be confident in Christ, haven't we? Every reason. No reason not to. I look at myself and sometimes I lack confidence in me. But that's all right. So I can put my confidence in him. And when I put my confidence in him, do you know what? My confidence in me rises, gets stronger, because it's in him. It's not in me. It's not my weaknesses, not my failures. Of course, maybe you don't have any weaknesses. Maybe you don't have any failures. Maybe you're a super-duper spiritual giant. No, I think we all have weaknesses and failures. We get things wrong. We do wrong. We say wrong. We are wrong at times. And sometimes that dents our confidence in ourselves, but that's okay. We look to him for his ability in us to stand in confidence, base it in Christ. Stand in the name of Jesus. What a mighty, powerful name. Philippians 2, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Ephesians 1.21, Paul says, He is far above every name that is named. Isn't it wonderful to think today that every human being on the face of the earth, every angel in heaven, every demonic spirit from the pits of hell, every one will bow the knee to Jesus. Whether they want to or not is irrelevant. They will bow the knee and they will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the name that we stand in. And Acts 3 and 4, the Apostle Peter, over and over and over again, he uses that wonderful name. The name of Jesus is not like a talisman. It's not like an abracadabra. It's not a magic formula. When we talk about in the name of Jesus, it's in the authority of Jesus. And the early disciples, the early church, 
when Jesus went back to the glory, they went forth in the authority of the name of Jesus, that name that had been so reviled, that had been so despised, that name, they kept reminding the world and the authorities of that name. Do you remember they went up, Peter and John went up to the temple at the hour of prayer, a certain man lame from his mother's room was there, they carried him daily to the gate, which is called beautiful, to ask alms. Peter and John fixing their eyes upon him, said, look at us, he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand and he pulled him up. And the man rose up and he began to leap and dance and give glory to God. <coughs> in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that despised place with that despised man. And Peter was not ashamed because he knew there was power in his name because he was going in his authority. Jesus sent them out under his authority. And you remember how then the man was questioned and how that... Uh, Verse 11, now the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John and all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men, and Israel, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and, delivered in the pre and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murder to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong. Glory to God. And if you read on through the next chapter, you'll see how they got arrested and said they were not to preach in this name any longer. They were not to use this name any longer. And then Peter, verse 8, chapter 4, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of people, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him is this man stands before you whole. This is a stone which was rejected by you builders, which, God, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And so they went forth in that powerful, mighty name of Jesus. And that name has been given unto us. Peter said in 1 Peter 3, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject unto him. There's something about that name. Not a magic potion, but when we use the name, we must remember we're speaking about his authority. And all hell recognizes that name. Remember the sons of Sceva 
He tried to cast the demon out, stumbling. And the man jumped him and tore them, all seven of them, and says, Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. But who are you? <laughs> they recognized the name of Jesus, and they recognized Paul. And so God has given us a name that is above all other names, that at the name of Jesus. In Luke 10, Jesus sent the 70 out, and they came back rejoicing, said, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us by your name. They were amazed. They were thrilled. And he said to them, he says, don't focus on that. Wonderful as it is, powerful as it is, he says, but rather that your names are written in heaven. <laughs> he says, that's what you really should be rejoicing about. And so what a name he's given us. And finally, stand in the power of his word. Joshua 1 and 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it then you shall make your way prosperous then you shall have good success did you notice the connection listen whatever you meditate on you're going to mouth it what do you meditate on all day? Because that's what's going to come out of your mouth. That's what you're going to talk about. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Can't help it. Can't do anything else. And so they're meditating on the word. When the time comes, when we need that word, guess what we're going to mouth? We're going to mouth the word. That's what's going to come from your lips, the Word of God. What did Jesus do in the wilderness, in the temptations? He spoke the Word, didn't he? What was he meditating on? Guess what he was thinking in those 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness when he's fasting and praying. You say, well, he was the Word. I know that, but he had to be taught the Word as a human being. He grew up with it. He soaked himself in. Even on the cross, in the midst of his agonies, he was still quoting the word. And if you say, well, that, that was the Son of God in the wilderness, he was the word. Well, what good would that be then if it was just say, well, that was the Son of God? No, he gave us that to show us that that's what we can do. And if you meditate, how often do you meditate on the word? Do you chew the cud? You farmers know what chewing the cud is, don't you? The old cow chews the grass, swallows it, and then later on it chews it again. Sorry, it's getting near lunchtime to tell you that, but nevertheless, that's what happens. Chews the cud. Breaks it down. You read the scriptures. You chew the scriptures. You swallow it. But then later on, you think about it again. You begin to meditate on it. You're chewing the cud. And it gets assimilated into your spirit. And then it comes out over your mouth. 
you begin to speak the word. What you meditate on, you will mouth, good or bad, negative or positive, the word of God or whatever, it comes out. It cannot do anything else. The abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Death and life, Proverbs 18, 21, is in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Proverbs 13 and 3, he who guards his mouth preserves his life. <coughs> it is written, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. <laughs> Hebrews 1, 3, the Lord upholds things, all things, by the word of his power. Yes, there's power in his word, but he holds all things by the word of his power. In other words, he gives word to his power. His power is given word. Eight times in Genesis 1, and God said. Nothing happened to God said. Once God said, then it happened. That power was unleashed when God said, when God spoke, not before it. And so there's valuable lessons, lessons in that, isn't there? So stand in faith, stand in patience, stand in victory, stand in confidence, stand in the name of Jesus, stand in the power of the word, and I'm sure there's more if you think about it. All this is to get us to stand. That's why the apostle Paul says, after telling us all that he had gone through, all of the hardship, but none of these things moved me. I'm still standing. They haven't moved me. The devil tried to move me, but he can't. I'm still standing. And some of you I've known for years, and I could look back at the stuff you'd gone through and the situations you faced and the difficulties that came your way and the crises that happened, but you're still standing. You're still here today. You're still rejoicing. You're still going through with the Lord. Why? Because of some of those things I talked about this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Close with this. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable. I think it was Winston Churchill said about Sunday, he was like an iron peg driven into ice. Unmovable, unshakable, always abounding in the work of the Lord as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Having done all, stand. Can I get you just to physically stand for one moment, please? There'll be communion in a moment. Martin's going to lead us in that, but just for a moment. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you that we are found standing today. Lord, for some of these people, it's been against all odds. Some of them have faced crushing, devastating blows. And in those moments, perhaps they wondered how they would make it through. But yet, Lord, they're here today and they're standing. And they're still standing. Because of your grace and your mercy and your love, but because of their faith, because, Lord, of their perseverance,
their go-through attitude, and Lord, you have made them stand, and they're steadfast in Christ. So I give you thanks for them, and I thank you for what you brought them through. And Lord, if there's ones who are still standing today, I pray that you would encourage them to continue to take their stand. And Lord, you will bring them through. Thank you, Lord. So Lord, we commit ourselves to you afresh today. And Lord, we're determined to keep standing. We don't know what tomorrow brings or next week or next month or next year. But Lord, with your grace, we're determined to keep standing and keep following Christ no matter. So we give you the honor, we give you the glory. Thank you for your strength in us. Thank you for your grace through us. Thank you, Lord, for your power, Lord, that works in all of us. We bless you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.